bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. You may be seated for a moment. We are so delighted to have each of you here at High Point Church with us this morning. What a privilege it is to have you here to worship, to celebrate the name of Jesus with us. And it is such a privilege. So good to see Sister Comer once again. She's been out uh, rehabilitating, had a knee replaced. I told her this morning, coming up the sidewalk, I said, she's walking like a 16-year-old now. And uh, it's good to see her. So glad to have her back with us. Sister Doris, why did you stand up when she asked for the 60-year-olds? She's not paying attention. Praise. Amen. I want to say thank you to everyone who has extended, has given gifts and shown such kindness and during Pastor Appreciation Month. We appreciate that so very much. Your kindness is just uh, beyond explanation. We want to say thank you from the bottom of our heart for our first-time guest this morning. We're privileged and delighted to have you with us here at High Point Church. Please make yourself at home the remainder of this service, and then we invite you to come back and see us again. We'd be delighted to have you. As Sister Goldsberry has already mentioned, Sister Barbara, this is her last Sunday as a consistent member here at High Point Church because she's relocating back to Indiana. She has been a blessing and a thrill to have here at High Point Church. And what a privilege it has been to get to know her and to have her a part of our group and our fellowship. And we wish her all the best. Our hearts, our prayers will be with her as she works to relocate. And uh, we let her go contingent upon one thing, and that's when she's back in the area, she will come back and visit us. And of course, uh, she has agreed to do that, and we just appreciate her so, so very much. Amen. As we do each and every one of you. God is so good. His mercy never ceases to amaze me. Never. About the time I think I have seen the extent of God's mercies, He pulls one out and surprises me. Amen. What a privilege. Would you stand one more time? I invite your attention this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. I would like to read in your hearing verses 13 through 16. And I want to preach a message that the Lord had laid on my heart a couple weeks ago. The title, at least, it took some time for things to come together. But trusting God in these uncertain times. Trusting God in these uncertain times. If it hasn't occurred to you that we're living in uncertain times, I've got to ask, where have you been? You just landed today from another planet or something because we are certainly living in treacherous and dangerous times. I don't say that to be negative or pessimistic. The Bible tells us these days are going to come. Does it not? Amen. It doesn't say the church will be defeated. It doesn't say the church is going to go down in the flames. Church is going to rise. Amen? Amen. The church is going to rise in an hour, in a time when God is going to reach the hearts and lives of so many. Peter writes, And who is he who will harm you? He asks the question. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm blessed. I am blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Do you hear what Peter writes? Now, I could take a little time and tell you some history about the times in which Peter was writing. This man was standing on faith. Amen. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear. There's a lot of people out there I run into on a daily basis that have lost their hope. They're afraid. Terrified. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Precious, loving Savior, I thank you again for this day. Oh, how I need you. Lord, as I do each and every time I step to this pulpit to minister on your behalf, Lord, I pray that you'll help me today to speak as your oracle, and I will speak today that I will just become transparent before this congregation, and they will hear nothing but the words that come from the divine throne room of heaven. Lord, I pray to anoint each of us to receive today as your word goes forth, and we'll give you the praise and thanks for it. It is in the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. Would you look at your neighbor one more time and tell him, I'm going to trust God in these uncertain times. And you may be seated. Amen. Throughout this presidential election cycle, I'll quit snickering now. We have been inundated throughout through campaign speeches, courtesy of the news media, regarding hope. And primarily by one of the two candidates. Now, while I am a firm believer in hope, everybody with me, it certainly is not in the prospect of political candidates to have it within their power to offer any kind of lasting hope. They might like for you to believe they can, but they cannot. Amen. For the most part, they are simply offering promises they cannot nor have the absolute authority to keep. Amen. This is not going to be a political speech, folks. I'm just laying a little groundwork. So while I strongly encourage you to act upon your civic responsibility by voting for the candidate of your choice, hopefully based on biblical principles, don't think for one minute there is hope for the current situation we face in our society outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be highly disappointed if you do. When I am asked the question, and in fact, I had a man ask me the other day, one of my supervisors, 
He said, it doesn't seem to bother you a bit about what's going on in the financial world. No, not really. What about your 401k? Hey, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Well, I sure wish I could look. I'm telling you right now, friend, it's all in the hands of Jesus Christ. Amen? So when I am asked the question as to why I'm not in a frenzy over the current economic condition of our country, I simply respond by saying to these folks, my hope is in nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Whew. Hallelujah. I want to preach here a little bit. Just keep this in mind as you hear all of this political rhetoric in the closing days of this election. Your hope must be in nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Amen. The Apostle Peter... Enough of that, okay? You got the point. The Apostle Peter in this first letter challenges us to live godly lives. Even in the midst of trial in the midst of suffering, and in the midst of persecution. Amen? Circumstances do not affect godly principles for living. Whether we are being loved, or whether we are being cursed, whether we, we're still to bless. Jesus said, bless and curse not. Amen? Whether we're being embraced or whether we're being persecuted, our life and testimony are to witness to the hope of salvation that you and I have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Consistency in godly living despite circumstances is the true test of growth in godliness. I'm going to say that again. I really want you to get that... I really want you to internalize that. Consistency in godly living despite circumstances is the true test of growth and godliness. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Colossia, instructing them, said this in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye were called in one body, and be thankful. How many of y'all been a little bit on edge about what's going on in the world? That's all right. You, you can be honest. I'm not going to get after you. Jesus also in his closing thoughts to the disciples prior to his crucifixion left them this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. I do I give you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, because the world and all of its political agnostics and leadership cannot offer lasting peace. Amen. Whew, somebody's thinking right now, boy, Pastor, you're just a you're just a mountain of negative information today. That word leave, or as many translations use it, bequeath, is used in the ex execution of a will. He said, peace I bequeath, or I leave to you. When somebody dies, they bequeath or they leave their most valuable possessions to the people that they love. 
They don't leave them junk, or let's hope they don't, okay? Let's hope we don't leave junk. However, just because Jesus left His peace to us doesn't mean it automatically operates in our lives. We have to embrace it. We must internalize it. It's a reserve we must draw from every day. Amen? We do that through constant communion and prayer and reading of the Word and through worship and praise. And Amen? You know, and the enemy will do everything he can to deplete the peace that you may enjoy. He knows that when you're in turmoil, you do and say things that later you regret. Plus, when you've lost your peace, it's harder to hear from God. How many of you know that uh, anxiety is often our first reaction to conflict or problems? I see you can be honest this morning. We're humans. We have to deal with the human factor. Amen? I have to shut off all the television news broadcasts. I can't take it anymore. They just mess you up. And they'll, they'll, they'll send you into a fit of anxiety. In those moments, getting peaceful oftentimes seems disloyal or apathetic to our human way of thinking. Perhaps subconsciously, we may even think, you know, if I really cared, if I really cared about the world economic crisis and the world situation, I'd worry about it. Or if this is really all that important, shouldn't I be just a little bit upset over what's taking place? But let me point this out to you, my friends. It's a misguided belief that the outcome will be positively affected by the amount of time we spend worrying. You can go home today worry-free. You're not going to change a thing. No, you're not. You can worry till you just have ulcers, until you just end up in a, in a complete and total absolute mental breakdown and not change a thing. It'll be the same tomorrow. But oh, I know a Savior. I have a Savior who can turn it all around. He can be a shelter in a time of storm. He is a rock in a weary land. Amen. He's a strong tower that we, the righteous, can run into and be saved. Amen. Amen. He is more than a friend. He's a shelter. He is everything. He is all in all. Now, the fact of the matter really is our best problem-solving resource is the peace that comes through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You see, solutions arise more easily and naturally out of a peaceful state, whereas fear and anxiety oftentimes blocks our, blocks solutions, blocks middle thought. Amen? Anxiety empowers the problem. It doesn't help to harbor turmoil. But let me tell you, God's peace is available to each and every one of us if we choose it. It's our choice. We can either live in chaos and turmoil, or we can live in the peace and reality and the joy of knowing we're God's children. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people. 
Amen? Before we continue, let me offer this suggestion. Refuse to let negative emotions run amok in your life. Just refuse it. Amen. The Bible says, and I paraphrase, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, it will do what? It will produce in us love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and so forth. Amen. That means we have the option of choosing between peace and inner conflict. So what do you say? Let's choose peace. It's our inheritance. As Holy Ghost filled, blood bought, born again believers, peace is our inheritance. In a very dark hour in Israel's history, a man by the name of Gideon, he cried out to the Lord in very uncertain times, and here's what he said. Judges 6 and 13. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? Those of you Bible scholars, remember when he asked that question? And where are all of his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Gideon said, Lord, if you're with us, could you just kind of let me know where all that stuff is at I hear folks talk about? Where are all the miracles and the things that our forefathers told us about? This thing, you know, they crossed the Red Sea and, and all it. You know what I'm talking about. But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. I'll get back to this passage in just a moment, but before I do, let me share this with you. A little story I run across. A hundred years ago, it's true, by the way, Germany's exclusive textile mills had special rooms that were dedicated to the spinning of the world's finest lace. Now, each, mysteriously to our way of thinking, each room was dark, except for the light falling down from a small window that was above the weaver's workstation. You see, the reason being, you might ask, well, why wouldn't they light up the entire room? Why wouldn't there be windows everywhere? The reason being, so we're told, is that Lace is more beautiful when the weaver is in darkness and his work is in the light. Lace is more beautiful when the weaver is in the darkness and his work is actually in the light. In most cases... God's purposes are revealed and His power displayed in our darkest experience when, like getting asked if the Lord is with us, why has this happened? Amen. When there seems to be no rhyme or reasons, God's promises this is found in Isaiah 45 and verse 3. I will give you the treasures 
of darkness, riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Let me tell you, friend, He knows you by name. Amen? You see, anybody can be faithful in good times. Amen? But standing by night in the house of the Lord, as the psalmist said, takes real commitment. Amen? Hymn writer George Matheson wrote, Will I remain in God's house at night, love Him for who He is? No, I desire not the gift, but the giver. When I can remain during the darkness of the night in worship, I've accepted Him for Himself alone. End of quote. You see, when the Israelites faced their greatest challenge, the Red Sea, the Bible says that all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. So my friends, let me encourage you today. Our Lord, our God, and our Savior Jesus Christ is working even though we may not be able to see Him. Amen. I have never been more encouraged in my life as to what God is doing in this hour in which we live. You see, after all, how can God give us, as Job said, songs in the night if the sun always shines? Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 10, 27 through 31, he said, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Watch this now. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I understand some of us have more than others. But they're all numbered. That's right. He knows every time you brush your hair and hold. Do not fear, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I said, you are more value than many sparrows. Jesus said that. You see, it's in life's uncertain times and dark places that our God shares things which strengthen us and encourage those around us. Amen. I don't like the uncertainness of the time and hour in which we live any more than you do. But I have to concede, concede to the fact that our God is in control of everything that's taking place. If I didn't believe that, I need to resign this pulpit and quit preaching altogether. But He is in control. He has His way in every situation. He is the master of it all. Amen? Just prior to Jesus' crucifixion, 
has his disciples together, and he says to them, as is recorded in John 13 7, and I read from the New International Version, he said, Do not, do, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. We look across the vast horizon of what is transpiring in our society and our world today, and we shake our head. I'll be honest and tell you right now, there's a lot I don't understand. I shake my head like everybody else and go, dear Lord, have mercy. Where are we headed? But Jesus told him, he said, you do not realize now what I am doing. But later, you will understand. They could not wrap their mind around the reality he was going to a cross. They could not wrap their mind around the reality that this was not going to be the establishment of Israel as the head of the nations and the kingdom of God would be set forth at this time. They had a preconceived notion and idea of how everything was going to fit into place and how it was all going to come together. And this was contrary to everything they had thought would happen. Just as so many today are confused and befuddled about, they had this all figured out and thought things would be this and things would be that and things would be this. And it's going, what? This is not what we had envisioned. But here we are. October of 2008, when our God reigns, He's the same today as He was 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 2,000 years ago. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He raised up leaders to power, and He took them down. He's still raising up leaders to power and taking them down. Hallelujah. I thought everybody would be up shouting by now. I'm just kidding. Mary and Martha were so upset over the fact that Jesus didn't arrive until their brother Lazarus had already died. They sent for him when Lazarus first got sick. And you know the story, and I'm not going to belabor you with all the details. And Jesus was going along the way he was healing folks, and time got away, and so forth and so on, though, so on, you know. And, Next thing you know, he next word he receives is Lazarus is dead. And Mary and Martha are beside themselves. They went out to Jesus when they heard he was finally making his way to their home and to their little community. And they said, you know, if you would have been here, our brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. All because you didn't arrive on time. He's never late. Never. He's never late. Hear me today. He's never late. In fact, here's their words as recorded by John. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Tears streaming down their face as they're mourning the creator of life standing in front of them. That if you'd have been here. Instead of giving them reasons and explanations, well, I got, you know, I got, I got this happened. That. 
Nope, he never offered one thing. He never offered a bunch of lame explanations, tried to excuse his time, tried to say this, here's what he said. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Have I not told you that? Church, has He not told us if you'll believe, you will see the glory of God manifested in this hour? Amen. That was his response to them. Them two fine, beautiful, sweet ladies. When their hearts are broken over their brother, he said, Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now where is he at? Oh, Lord, you're too late. No, I'm never too late. Where is he at? Why, he's in the grave. He's been there four days now. You can't go in there. Roll the stone away. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, Abraham just didn't understand. He had no idea. But he knew how to trust his God. He knew that God was faithful. We sing, Brother David, in, in, the, in the worship team leads us in that course once in a while, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. One of my, one of my favorites. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord unto me. Amen. Abraham had, he just, just couldn't wrap his mind around it. But later he witnessed God's faithfulness. In fact, through faith he told his servants before he and Isaac walked up the mountainside, you wait here. Me and the boy will be back in a little while. We're going to work. Look it up. He witnessed God's faithfulness when Isaac was restored to him. Let me tell you this, Moses didn't understand why he had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. But later when God called him to lead Israel to freedom, he got it. He understood why he was back there and in 40 years of training, going to college back there in the greatest school known to humanity. At the burning bush. Hallelujah. He got it. Whew, man, I'm glad I learned all that stuff back there in 40 years. He learned how to trust and obey and believe and stand strong in his firm conviction and commitment to Almighty God. Joseph didn't know why his brothers had mistreated him so terribly or why he was in prison unfairly. He didn't wrap, he didn't wrap his, how could you wrap your mind around something like that? But later he said God's hand, he saw God's hand in everything. No doubt Joseph's father Jacob questioned why Joseph had been taken from him at such a young age. Just a child. 
But later, looking into the face of a man who became the governor of Egypt and who saved the lives of the nation, God's purpose became very clear to Jacob. Suddenly all the pain and the hurt and the frustration and all of the what-ifs vanished in the face of his son when he realized God had a purpose for Joseph. Amen. Just like our children don't always think our decisions make sense. Or am I the only one that found that out? Just like our children don't always think our decisions make sense, we don't always understand God's ways either. Amen? Just you might as well admit it. It's all right. That's exactly why Jesus said to Mary and Martha, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will. You'll understand that then, and the truth of the matter is, God doesn't expect us to understand everything. So quit beating yourself up thinking, oh, I just don't understand why I can't figure this all out. You'll figure it out in due course. When the time is right, when it's time, God wants you to understand it. You'll understand it. But He does expect us to trust Him. We don't have to understand, but we do have to trust. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We must believe it. In spite of his boils, in spite of his bankruptcy, in spite of his bereavement, Job said this, Job 23 and 10. But he knows. I don't know, but Job said he knows. But he knows the way I, I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. How many of you want to be a vessel of honor? Then there has to be a little testing. I don't like it. You don't like it. That's all right. That's natural. It's human. But he said he knows the way that I take it. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Perhaps God is testing us in whatever situation you may be facing. If he is, what are we learning? If the experience make, is making us bitter, or make, or, or I should ask you this question: If is the, if the is the experience making us better, or is it making you bitter? Hopefully, it's making us draw closer to Him. Amen. Remember, as the greatest songwriter of my generation wrote, "There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree, and it whispers, draw closer." To me. Leave this world far behind, for there are new heights to climb, and a new place in me you will find. Amen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm almost done. The word of the Lord tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The apostle says, stop, just, just stop for a moment and consider Jesus Christ. Think about him. The man who endured 
such opposition from sinful men. They couldn't stop God's plan. Try as hard as they may to derail the birth of the church, they couldn't do it. And man today will not derail the church of Jesus Christ. They couldn't do it then, and they can't do it now. Because it's built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. He said, so consider Him who endured such opposition from sin and sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you find yourself today feeling misunderstood, how many of you know that's what's that about? You're not alone. You're not alone. The most understood individual who ever lived was none other than Jesus Christ himself. Critics joked about his birth, and they still do. Critics disputed his divine origin, and they still do. Critics scorned his purposes, and they still do. Critics revile his teachings, and they still do. The critics were suspicious of his motives, and they still are. Criti critics were critical of his methods, and you know what? They still are. And they were angered by his message, and they still are. Ultimately, they put him to death on a cross. And you see, that explains what the Apostle John meant when he wrote. And I read from the New American Standard Version, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He came to his own, and those who were of his own did not receive him. Wherever Jesus went, he met with misunderstanding and rejection. Yet in spite of it, he endured. And by his grace, you and I can endure. After a complete chapter, and I'm closing. After a complete chapter by the Apostle on those who please God by and through their faith, the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews is what I'm referring to. The entire chapter is dedicated to faith and using the analogy and illustrations of those who please God through faith. Amen. Those who received the promise, those who didn't, those who were killed by the sword, those who were slain and sawn asunder, those who the world was not worthy of. Then he said this in the very opening of the next chapter, chapter 12. He said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here it is. Let us fix 
our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then he said, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm feeling better. Oh, boy, I'm feeling better. I have never, yes, ducked to this point. I have never been led to a scourging post. I have never been beaten with rods. I have never suffered violence to my person for what I believe. The worst that has ever happened to me is I was called a holy roller. Now, Grandma used to tell some stories about some honorary boys in town that would come do some things, but nothing like nothing like this. Used to get egg once in a while or a tomato or two tossed in during church service. You know. You know. He said, consider Jesus who endured the agony, the absolute horror of the cross. Consider him who endured this kind of opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I close with this. As you are in the process of running your race today, there's a few things, three things I want you to recognize. First of all, you need to recognize the things that are slowing you down. The second thing is recognize the things that are tripping you up. And finally, recognize that obstacles and oppositions are par for the course and don't get discouraged. Amen? And I know someone is thinking right now, Pastor, that all sounds good. I, I, you know, it sounds real good. Now, now how do I, now how do I do all that stuff? How do I, how do I do all that business you're talking about? Simply by keeping your eyes focused on Jesus Christ and drawing our strength from Him each and every day. Amen. 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 We can trust God in these uncertain times. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. Every Sunday morning when I stand to preach in this pulpit, I look in the face of miracle after miracle after miracle. 